Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome back to another episode of Kitchen Club with me, Serena Lau, and my friend, Sarah Malcolm. Kitchen Club is the weekly podcast that brings you conversations from our kitchen table. Each week brings a new guest, a new area of expertise to get stuck into. And this time, currently, we have switched things up whilst in lockdown and we ask our guests for their three favourite ingredients that are in their kitchen cupboards right now. We then use those ingredients to create a recipe that they can make at home. We also ask our guests to share their healthy habit, which is something that enhances their well-being. We like to try that out ahead of recording so we can let them know how we got on. In this week's episode, we are speaking to Emma Cannon. Emma is a fertility and women's health expert whose work bridges the gap between Western medicine and the world of alternative therapies. She is a registered fertility acupuncturist, founder of the Emma Cannon Clinic and a mentor and speaker. Over the past 25 years, Emma has helped countless couples achieve their dream of having a baby and is the author of a whopping five best-selling books so impressive i have to say that i've been really looking forward to having emma on as a guest literally from the time that we started doing the podcast so it's so so exciting to have her on today emma really beautifully addresses the times that we're moving through right now and shares her suggestions on how we can choose to let them serve us for the better Her three ingredients are delicious, tahini, lemon, and halloumi. So stay listening to hear what recipe we created for her. We can't wait to have you listening to this one. It's a really special one. And thank you so much for listening so far to the series and sticking with us. We really hope you enjoy this episode. So here's Emma Cannon on Kitchen Club. Hello, Emma. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's such a joy to have you on. I think um, Serena and I have been so, so excited to speak with you and we're just very gutted that we can't do it in in real life and have lovely food together. We will. We We will meet again. Exactly, we will. Emma, we're going to dive straight into asking you about your ingredients, which are a little different. now that we're recording remotely. So Serena, do you want to hit us up with Emma's ingredients? Absolutely. So Emma's three favorite ingredients that she's got in her cupboards and fridge at the moment that she gave us are lemon, tahini, and halloumi, which is a pretty, pretty solid three favorites, I think. I would choose most of those myself. Me too. Good. (laughs) So the recipe this week was... A, I always have to try and describe it really well since you can't eat it with me. A zesty lemon. Um, what did I? What did I make? A zesty lemon spring greens and halloumi salad with baby new potatoes, lots of crunchy green veg like tender stem broccoli and asparagus, and then lots of fresh herbs and pine nuts to make it super delicious. And of course, lovely grilled halloumi on top. Delicious. Divine, Serena. I loved all the ingredients that you added. Emma, is there there anything about those ingredients that has a story for you or why you're particularly drawn to those three that you gave us, apart from them being in your kitchen? Um, 
Uh, tahini is just, I came to it fairly late, I think, and I just love it. Um, and um, my daughter's actually been making delicious biscuits from tahini. So that's yeah. really nice. You know, I love that kind of nutty kind of, yeah, well, I love the sesame seeds. And in, in Chinese medicine, sesame seeds are really good for the blood. Um, so uh, more so black sesame seeds but any sesame seeds um so uh, we look at foods in a slightly different way in chinese medicine we look at we, we describe them in a different way we categorize them in a different way so we say certain foods nourish the blood um so that recipe that you have created would be quite a blood nourishing recipe because it's very um it's very green um, mm. so anything that not, and, and also it's got the sesame seeds in it it would also be very good recipe on the liver energy um, and uh, because of the lemon um, and I, I really I love lemons I I mean that's been one of the, the things we seem to be getting through the most in lockdown me too actually really mm. um, and uh, maybe there's something in it um, and um, so I always start the day with a lemon um, and um, it's very good for the liver energy um, so when we talk about when we talk about organs in Chinese medicine they have a bigger sphere of influence and just the liver, the liver and it would be wrong to say you know I don't want to make any big claims about it affecting the liver but it affects the liver energy and the liver energy is all about um, moving chi and energy through your body so it's a really good way to start the system in the morning especially if the system's a bit sluggish so lemon is a big fave and halloumi well we had the discussion about halloumi um last night and um well, it's just delicious, isn't it? I mean, it's just such a simple, it's such a simple thing to to have, and it's just delicious all on its own. Um, and um, we have quite. A, my husband is a big meat eater, um, and it's quite difficult to cook sort of vegetarian meals for him. Um, but it's good that I've got my daughter home at the moment because she's really good at making vegetarian meals really tasty. Mm. So halloumi is featuring quite heavily, and so is tahini. So yeah, we're trying to eat more vegetarian, definitely. Um, I, I I actually don't. Although halloumi is lovely, I don't think it's got many. Hmm, I, I wouldn't know how to categorise it in terms of Chinese medicine. It's quite a weird one. I don't know how. I don't know how nutritional it actually is, but I'm sure it has. It's good for the soul, right? Yeah, but it's salty. <laughs> so salty things you know as long as it's not too much does have an impact on on the kidney and it and actually can be in a, a good way um but yeah too much salt not good yeah so I would say your recipe is very good for the liver energy um, and very good for this time of year because actually we're in the kind of liver spring. It's the spring. The liver is associated with spring. Um, it's all about energy shooting up. So, yeah, it's a very good spring liver energy. I, of course, had done my research and knew all of that, Emma, and I made it especially <laughs> um, I'd like to ask you about the lemon thing because obviously yeah. so many people start their day with a with warm water and lemon and I always thought that that was a bit of a wellness fad but for some reason I've started doing it and I love it and I can't explain it it just makes me feel good yeah is that what you do with your lemon first thing that's what I do with my lemon first thing yes um <laughs> And um, I'm not going to make any claims about detox or stuff like that because I'm not really a big fan of the whole detox industry. But um, but for me, it's um, it it gently moves the energy, and I think that's what you want to do when you get up in the mornings. You just want to begin to move the energy. Um, and one of the things that we're what that happens when our energy doesn't move well is we get stagnation, and stagnation of chi in the body can make us irritable. You won't know anything about this because you're yoga teachers. You have no stagnation at any point, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, you'll know about it, but you won't suffer from it. Um, but one of the things that I think is uh, people are suffering from in lockdown is a sort of frustration because they're not getting where they want to be going or their plans are thwarted. And this is very much a function of the liver. Like the liver likes to know, likes a plan. It's like the general in the army. So, um, and... Um, 
well, well, the wood element, let's say, rather than the liver. So the, the, the liver comes under the wood element. And it's all about having a vision for your life, knowing where you want to be get, getting to and, and not allowing anything to get in your way. Um, well, of course, that's all out the window, really, isn't it? Let's face it. <laughs> um, and so, and so uh, I'm not saying the lemon is going to solve all those problems, but, <laughs> but having a more flexible attitude and, and letting go of control um, is, is a way to, a therapeutic way to offset that. Yeah. Since we're on that vein, Emma, I know um, this is something that you sort of said you wanted to discuss. And I think Serena and I would also love to speak through it. We've got, we do have a lot of stuff we want to ask you. So without diving massively into this, I think it's quite important to just address it because you are a wise, lovely woman who who has a lot to say about this sort of thing. And I love following you on Instagram because I feel like you do just reflect kind of what we're feeling and what we're moving through so beautifully. And before we started the recording, I know that you mentioned lots of insights that are coming, coming through to you. And so we wanted to just explore your thoughts on how we can really use this time to, to follow our hearts and let it serve us in a, in a really great vibration, vibrationally moving way and how we can live more in the present. Okay. I, I think the first thing to say is there's a lot of stuff out there about us all being in the same boat. We're all in this together. I think first and foremost, I think we're not all in the same boat. I think we're all in very different boats. Some people are carrying on as normal. Some people's business has changed overnight. Some people are ill, you know, so I just put that on the table first um and then I'll, I'll say what I wanted to say um, um we're all in different we're all in very different boats but I think one of the invitations for those of us who have got more time is there's a sort of invitation to go inwards um and um I, there's a lot of noise out there and uh, a lot of knowing and a lot of opinions and you know, a lot of people saying it's this and it's that and it's the other. Um, I think we're in a time of not knowing. And I think we'll be in a time of not knowing for quite some time. Um, in fact, I think we've probably been in a time of not knowing for a long time. We just, was just a bit of a facade. <laughs> so, so that's the first thing is I think we have to become okay with not knowing. And one of the, the, the ways to do that is to let go of control and to become more flexible. Um, so um, I think this will go on for quite a long time. I think there will be quite a lot of stop-start. I actually have felt this coming for the last couple of years, not the coronavirus, but I felt the energy change because if you work with energy all day, which is what well, you guys do, but also through acupuncture, is I guess you're tuned into that. That's, that's the, the level at which I operate. And I've noticed for the last couple of years that plans get thwarted more easily, things that, you know, were set in stone got changed. In, I, I felt like there's, there's, there's been a sort of almost like I've been getting conditioned to that and then bang, smack, you know, plans over, everything stops. So I think this is one of the skills that we're going to have to cultivate going forward is to become much more flexible. Um, and it's one of my pillars that I teach, my fertile pillars to, to let go of control in order to be more flexible. So I think that that's one of the things. I think there is an invitation for us to, to move inwards um, and look for truth within ourselves. Um, so not be looking outside all the time for somebody to tell us the answer to things and um but just to really look for our truth the answer within ourselves um and the only this we've never really had an opportunity to do this in the way that we do because we're so busy earning the crust you know and obviously some people are still doing that so um so some of us have this opportunity to move inwards and i'm I mean, I will probably come out of this lockdown and I will not have tidied a single cupboard. Because, <laughs> and I'm a little bit jealous of all of those people that are doing their house. I haven't because, done anything either. <laughs> have you not? No. Because, because I have been in a space of feeling um, and, and listening, you know, mm -hmm. um, and 
I, I mean, I, for me, a lot of grief came up in the beginning. Um, I, I, I cried for a few weeks, probably over my clinic closing. Um, and, and, and that, um, that was one layer. And then of course there was the fear. Um, I haven't attached to the fear, but I know for a lot of people, they're stuck in the place of fear. Um, and really I think the invitation at the moment is to heal all of those sort of parts of yourself traumas big t little t traumas you know all of those sort of places that perhaps you haven't normally had a chance to look at I mean something huge came up for me and and so profound I I really must write it up actually and that was um before I went into lockdown my homeopath said to me you're homesick and I said gosh am I um, and it meant several things on different levels to me. But after three weeks in, into lockdown, I, for the first time, um, acknowledged that uh, being sent to boarding school um, as a sort of 13-year-old and how traumatic that was. And it, it has taken me being at home <laughs> to acknowledge that ho- feeling of deep deep-seated homesickness that I've carried with me all my life and I honestly feel like I've healed it because I've been at home so I've now reframed it as I'm not homesick I'm home safe <laughs> yeah I've got um, goosebumps all over my body <laughs> that. I know and if you think about our, our leaders um and I think everybody in this lifetime has uh, can heal and I include Boris Johnson in that. <laughs> um, and I, I had a vision of him healing, so I'll, we might get well. That was full on. Um, but you know, I had and I had this big realization, and it was through Boris Johnson, weirdly, um, is that everybody has the opportunity to heal in this lifetime. And if we do not believe that other people are healing, what we're are capable of healing, what we're really saying is we ourselves are not capable of healing. Um, and if you think about a lot of the people that lead this country, they are ex-boarding school mm-hmm. people. And a lot of those people carry a lot of trauma. Um, and a lot of what they do is they're acting out of trauma, you know, because they were left at school at seven years old. You know, some of them go to boarding school at seven years old, for Christ. Yeah. You know, it's, it, you know. So I had this huge revelation around, around that Um so the invitation at the moment is to go inwards and also to to learn to be very present, Eckhart, soul, you know, all of that, the, the power of now. Mm-hmm. And also this idea of being flexible, being able to change your plans at the last minute, being okay with that, um, you know, and getting used to that way of being, responding to what is rather than planning things a year in advance and then the whole, everything changes because I think we will be living in this energy for quite some time yeah this art of just surrendering and letting go yeah into into now mm, absolutely yeah. not easy not easy if you've been living very much in the old paradigm way I think many of us that have been working holistically for a long time we've taken steps to live hand to mouth to you know be adaptable to be creative but I think it's hard for us even so but I think if you've been living in the old paradigm and you know it's all very much about structure finance money security you know um you know ego a Mm. success you know getting climbing up a ladder so I think it's going to be a big shift yeah absolutely one of my teachers said to me once 20 years ago what you do is not particularly valued by society at the moment definitely not 25 years ago it wasn't in 25 years time 30 years time what you do will be valued more highly than almost anything else Mm. um and I think that I think in a way there is truth in that I mean I think people that work with who are going to be skilled at working with trauma and things like that will be highly will be highly sought after yeah I actually saw something on Instagram I think it was week two of lockdown um it was a meme and it said um it was like a yoga teacher and it said suddenly I'm a key not not key working but like suddenly my role is more important and more than ever I was like whoa I feel very needed for people yeah. right now um yeah so I think yeah you're right I think we will sort of 
shift into gear and people will respond when things are needed and and on that process and on that journey fascinating times but not withstanding all the pain and the grief that many people are going through so we'd love to chat to you about fertility obviously that's what you're most well known for your work with fertility yeah and helping couples achieve their dream of having babies I think that you know as young women we really take our fertility totally for granted until we get to the stage where we want to try and get pregnant Mm. So we were, we wondered if you could tell us what fertility means to you. So I usually use the word fertile instead of fertility because to me, uh, fertility is very much associated with having babies. But fertile for me has this broader meaning and that is rich in resources, fruitful and prolific. And I think that we live in a fear-based society and I think that's really coming up at the moment Um, and so my fertile philosophy is based on this idea of abundance and that there is enough Um, because I think I think that the way we've been brought up is what I call a barren thinking or barren society or or barren mindset, which you could, um, it's, it's like the same idea of scarcity and lack thinking, where there's never going to be enough, there aren't going to be enough jobs if it's com- based on competition. If someone else is, you know, um, winning, then I must be losing. Um, and so it's, it's this very kind of driven, you know, uh, scarcity thinking, which has us all running out of the house at 7.30 in the morning and getting back at 7 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. trying to win at life, you know. Um, and, um, and it implies, yeah, it implies that there are winners and losers and all the rest of it. Um, and I believe that um, we can create systems that are more abundant and that are more inclusive and that don't come from a place of competition and don't come from a place of winners and losers and I've always set my practice up like that that everyone it is possible to create systems where everyone benefits you know the patient the workers everybody I mean Anita Roddick was a was a the forerunner of this you know the who created the body shop and um and I remember reading her book when I was quite young because I actually grew up in Sussex and everybody worked in the body shop in Sussex because she was <laughs> down there and that's where she was from um so I I I kind of always felt as a woman that you could you could build a practice and I don't, I never thought of myself I've never thought of myself as a business owner I, for me it's always been a practice but it has been based on these principles that that um there is enough you know there is enough if if if, if the world was set up that not not two percent of it had you know 90 percent of the wealth you know <laughs> there would be enough <laughs> um so um so I'm not I'm not a particularly political person, but I um, but I do believe in fairness, and I think that um, yeah, a lot of my fertile philosophy is based on that. So it's when a pair. So how does that work with the person, the patient? When somebody comes to see me, they often come with a lot of the fear-based beliefs. You know, I've left it too late. You know, I'm I'm, I'm too old, or I'm you know I'm you know I had that termination. 15 years ago I'm sure that I'm going to be punished for that um three of my friends have got pregnant that's three less babies in circulation I mean it's incredible how people think or Mm -hmm. it's incredible what we make things mean um and we usually tell ourselves the worst version of any any story there is out there (laughs) most people do anyway so so that's how I've been working for a long time to create this fertile philosophy to 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 bring that into fertility to help support women having babies but actually thinking about what we're going through now I feel it's what we're moving into you know hopefully what we're we're moving away from this fear-based society and that that we will become kinder more compassionate we will collaborate more you know for god's sake it's so much better to collaborate than it is to compete you know there's there's absolutely no reason but that but we're taught to com- compete from such an early age so you know it doesn't mean that i that i don't want to to be good at what i do or i'm not you know i i'm in 
I'm impeccable about wanting to be good at what I do, but from a really different place um, than competition. Um, so yeah, that's my fertile philosophy. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. So how, Emma, can we make our lives more fertile in every essence? And I think I address this to both women and men of how everyone can live a more fertile life. What are some things that we can be doing in our lives to improve our fertile body um, and not live in the sort of not negatively affect it? Well, I think things have to change and I think they have to change on a bigger level than what we're able to do individually. But it doesn't mean that we're powerless. I mean, first of all, the the planet increasingly does not support our fertility or, you know, allow us to live in a fertile way. You know, we're destroying the planet as we know, Uh, you know, the way we fly around the place and all of that and the way our food is growing, the way the, the, the journey from the, you know, the farm to the table that all are uh, that all needs to kind of be reviewed I think and hopefully it will be um so so increasingly that does not support our fertility or our fertile life the way we work you know the the fact that um you know we're, we're expected to go into offices and sit on tubes and travel hours there that does not support a fertile way of living either and I think that the again maybe after this well, there will be more allowances to working from home more. So maybe they in offices they can have a rotor where where, you know, there's a day when everybody's in the office, but there are also days when people are working from home and we now know that, that oh, guess what? That is actually possible and that it can actually be productive. And actually when people are happier, guess what? They are more productive and they're more loyal. So so there's lots of things in society that I think that we can do. And 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 you know, I really welcome that because my job has has been getting harder and harder because, you know, I've got, I'll have somebody sitting in front of me and I say, talk me through your day, talk me through your week, you know, an hour and a half to work. I get home at, you know, eight o'clock at night. I want to cook myself a deliciously nutritious meal and I want to do some exercise. I mean, where the hell do you fit sex in there? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, in the 1950s, it was a lot easier, wasn't it? There was no TV, there was no Netflix, no one was sitting on their screens. The TV, if you had one, probably went off at I don't know, nine o'clock at night, sex was probably quite a good option. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of people say to me, well, I haven't got time to do these things. I mean, actually what I'm, what I preach or what I suggest isn't that, it's not that outlandish. I'm not somebody that gets you to strip whole things out of your diet. It's really not that um, over the top. And my message really is that, that all that tells me is that there is no room in your life. If there's no room to make those small changes, then there's no room for the baby to come. There's no room and nobody else is going to prioritize your health. So I think as a society, we need to take the needs, things need to change. And I think as individuals, we have to decide what's important to us. And I, of course, I appreciate people have mortgages to pay and things like that. You know, I, we've all, we all have, we all have that. But I think within it, you can create pockets of fertileness. And one of the things I really, um, I'm really, really big on is women supporting women and women not competing with one another, because the toxicity that that creates is vile. And I read somewhere that there's a special place in hell for for women who betray other women. And I'd really like to think <laughs> that that is true. Um, um, and um, and I think as soon as women start supporting other women, really beautiful things happen, you know. Um, and the last thing I'm going to say on this, because there are a billion things that I could say, is we. I think we have to live more as community. And I mm. think if we live more as community and we share and we learn that together we are stronger, um, then I, there isn't so much stress on the individual. And I think, again, we're moving away from a time of um, because I'm worth it, um, and the the insular I, and we're moving into a time of the we, and and we can do this. You know, we can do this together, uh, and I really welcome that because I think that will 
if we live like that and we live from that place and we don't live from the selfish I and me, then I think it will be a much better community and a much, and I think it will have a knock on effect on our fertility because we won't all be running around trying to individually do the same jobs. Yeah. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but that's yeah. the energy we're moving it's, into. It's so weird, actually, because, I mean, about an hour before we started connecting on this call, I was um, I was sort of having a nice day and I was very happy in my little surrounding. And then I went on Instagram and I suddenly had this overriding fear of um, comparison and comparing myself to people. Mm. And then I suddenly had that age age-old saying of comparison is the thief of joy and it mm. switched my mindset and I sort of I put that on my stories a little bit and the amount of um responses from women just coming back and saying oh my gosh I feel exactly the same and then through that connection I just felt like oh this is amazing this connection this community is really what it's all about and not and not that comparison at all yeah so yeah could not it- agree more it is changing and a lot of the women that I'm working with online at the moment are quite high up in like their lawyers or, you know, they work in HR and things like that. And, and what I'm kind of co- coaching them is like, you know, we've got to have a more compassionate approach. Like after this lockdown, you need to go back to your company and you need to say, right, strike now, you know, this is what we need. We need, women need this, 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 this. Men have needs too, of course, you know, that's not, that's not my story and that's not my work. But, um, you know, it's, it's a, it, it is a perfect time for these women to be, um, building more compassionate place in the workplace and then the fertility levels you know our fertility levels will increase I'm sure because we won't just be machines Mm. how I just wanted to know how important our diet is and what we eat on our journey to 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 being fertile I know you sort of you work with Chinese medicine and that element so if you could just like a few key pointers perhaps that anyone listening can can bring into their life um first of all I have five pillars of fertile and uh, nourishment is is one of them it's the sort of central one it's the, the the third one I have flexibility creativity nourishment transformation and belief um so uh nutrition is really really important uh I think that we live in a time, um, uh, and if you think about my career, it spans 25 years. So when I started off, there was absolutely no acknowledgement that food did anything for health (laughs) (laughs) at all. None, no acknowledgement. And now I think what's happened is because the medical system was so, so, so slow to come on board with that message that it's just kind of gone so far in the other direction that now we make huge claims about the role of food. And so when people come and sit with me, I think they often want a diet and they think, a diet will fix their fertility problems. So I wanted to start with that as the as the foundation of what I'm going to say because I think we have to be very careful about what it can do and what it can't do. So park that. <laughs> Obviously, a, a diet is very, very important. <laughs> um, um, but I think that it can easily become an obsession um, and I think it can easily become something that people feel it's another thing that they did. You know, they come into me and they say, I, di- I tried a diet and it didn't work. You know, it's, it's like, you don't just try a diet. That's like, that's, it's, it's your part of your life. <laughs> it becomes, it becomes your way of life. It's not like I tried it for three weeks and I didn't, yeah. it didn't unblock my fallopian tubes. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, people can be very literal about these things. So I prefer to talk about it in more in general terms rather than, because if I, if I give you five fertile foods, which I tell you I've been asked till I'm blue in the face, you know, there will be people out there that will eat those five foods and, and think that it will, you know, they will get pregnant. So I prefer to speak in general terms. I think diet is very individual and it's very hard to actually, um, to, to, do good research on diet. Um, I think that the way we eat is as important as what we eat. So if you're, you could be eating a really, really nutritious meal at lunchtime, but you could be standing at your desk eating it while you're on your computer. 
I don't believe that you're going to extract the nutrition from that in the same way as if you lovingly give yourself time and mindfully mm-hmm. eat maybe a less nutritious meal. <laughs> you know, so 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 I think the the relationship we have with food and and the way that we we incorporate food into our diet, you know, to be really joyful around food and to, and to have a relationship with it. I mean, I think if God, if we could get back to growing even herbs, you know, in our house, I think that would be helpful. So that we understand where it's come from, that we have an engagement in it, that there is an element of joy about it. Now, some of the women that come and see me who think they have the healthiest diet, I would say have the unhealthiest relationship with food. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a, a, a tricky, it's a tricky area. Um, I think um, veganism is, is really um, on the up, I think, for the planet that's probably a really good um, solution. I don't, I don't know enough about it, um, but I don't think it suits everybody. And I think a lot of people who are attracted to very restrictive regimes get attracted to veganism and then they, they don't really get it right. It's just mm-hmm. another way to put a rigidity on their diet. So I see a lot of women who turn to veganism and then who have no periods. Um, and that's, that's been a very common trend over the last five years, I would say. So they do, they over-exercise and they switch their diet. So that's, you know, it, it, it's called veganism, because, but it's a kind of a healthy hiding place for an eating disorder. Now, that's not to say that you cannot be healthy being a vegan. You absolutely can, 100%. All I'm saying is, is that sometimes those diets, I don't know, I'm gluten intolerant, I'm this intolerant, I'm that intolerant. I think it's in some women, it's just another form of an eating disorder as well. Yeah. Um, there are definitely people who are um, intolerant to those things. Of course there are. But there's also a huge range of other people who aren't and are just using it to place some control. Yeah. And then it switches um, into that mindset, doesn't it, of um, yeah. restriction and rather, rather than abundance and I can't eat this, whereas we should be celebrating everything we can. Yeah, so it's a kind of coming at it from a barren. So I think the attitude and your relationship with food, and I think that the why we eat is really important as well, you know. Um, so, yes, eat from a large range. I think eating seasonally and locally um, is, is a really good idea. Um, that's how I eat. I eat a small amount of meat. Uh, I pretty much, I eat most things. Um, but I eat what's available. So I will eat, yeah, I eat very much seasonally, mostly vegetables um, and and with some small amount of good quality meat. Battle with my husband over that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, and then the whole sugar thing as well, you know, that sugar's become, you know, enemy number one. Problem with sugar is they took the fat out of food in the 60s and pr- created all these low-fat foods and what they did was they laced the foods with sugar I mean that was one of the biggest dietary catastrophes of our time you know like shoving hiding sugar in our food and it just turned people into sugar addicts and the diabetes went through the roof Um, and actually fat isn't that as bad for you as as they made out I mean I have quite a lot of fat in my diet I have good fat I have olive oil. So I'll, I'll tell you a favorite way, a, a recipe for me to cook so that I do talk about some food. Yes, lovely. For, so uh, I would have chicken stock. You don't have to have chicken stock, but I always have chicken stock. It could be a vegetable stock. You know, I'll, I'll fry up some onions. I'm a big fan of butter. Um, <laughs> I think it's food of the gods. Me too. Um, yeah, you can use olive oils or whatever, coconut oil or whatever. It doesn't really do the same thing for me. I like ghee as well. Um, and um, so just to fry up some, some vegetables, saute them off. I add the chicken stock um, and then I might blend it. But then what I do, so it's a very kind of layered meal. So you've got the vegetables, you've got the chicken stock, you've got some fat from the butter. And then I would put, um, um, say, like a spoonful of sour cream or yogurt on top of the soup. And then I would sprinkle some crushed nuts. Well, I always make it like with sesame seeds and nuts and seeds and things like that. And then I would drizzle some oil. 
So you have a meal that is very, very layered um, and it's healthy. It's easy to digest. It's warm, which, which in Chinese medicine we like, like, like we like our warm food. Um, and, um, you know, that's a pretty much a staple for, in our house. We pretty much always have something like that going all the time. Sounds like heaven. And, and I, I don't eat much and I don't eat a lot in the evening, but I'm very old, so... <laughs> <laughs> you keep saying that you're really. <laughs> so no, I don't eat. I don't eat that much in the evening. I like. I like to eat lighter in the evening, and I think that's another thing as well. Is is you know you could be eating a really good meal in the evening, but if you're eating a load of raw food in the evening, it's actually really hard to digest, and mm. it actually causes quite a lot of fermentation. So you would be better off having that soup that I described. That's very layered. That has lots of different elements to it. That's you know nutritious but it's easier to digest and if you want to eat raw food eat it in the morning eat it for breakfast yeah anyway that's just a few things we talk all day about nutrition I know (laughs) so Emma we're talking a lot about fertility in relation to women and I was wondering how important it is for for men to be involved in that conversation as well I know that you work predominantly or entirely with women um yeah, no, I, I um, no men aren't important at all. No, they are. <laughs> They're fifty percent of the problem and fifty percent of the solution. I always say. <laughs> um, but um, my appeal does seem to be more towards women, and I think that's because I've gone quite in down a kind of spiritual path with this. So I think that that approach is, you know, more. And and I have worked with more women over the years, and I'm one of five girls, and I have two daughters. So I mean, I am all about the women. But I do have men come and see me, but not so many um but of course they are really important and you know i always say it takes two and um and and it, and i the the in the time that i've been in practice we have seen the quality of male sperm drop quite significantly um so what we commonly see is we see a lot of abnormal forms in the sperm um and um yeah, that's one of the ma- the main things that I see, um, which isn't such a problem if you have a lot of sperm. But if you if you don't have a lot of sperm, then then it can be a problem. And t- I mean, typically in a, a normal semen analysis in London, you know, I would say that I regularly see sperm that is only five percent normal forms. Um, yeah, and oh. you need about seven, five, six, yeah, seven for for it to, to be considered enough again if you've got masses of sperm then it's not so much of a problem now top tip um and something that people get wrong is because people use ovulation sticks a lot i think what they've done is that they have given us the idea that we have this huge amount of control right so the ovulation stick says um it's you know it's time to have sex come home tonight honey (laughs) um and you have sex for that day maybe a couple of other days um and then job done don't have sex for the rest of the month it's such a bad idea because well first of all mentally people then think well I did everything right you know I did everything right and it hasn't worked so there must be something wrong that's not right thinking anyway um the second way to think of it is sperm likes to turn over it likes to turn over regularly throughout the month so um so the man needs to ejaculate every three days really um and then what that means is that he's always generating fresh sperm so by the time it comes to ovulation you're going to have fresh sperm rather than sperm graphic <laughs> in in the testicles all month you know the whole month um so that's it's so interesting because we don't talk about this at all no um yeah so there's a few things there's the the control that we we've begun to put over this um what that control does so that generates more anxiety and I think for your sex life it's a disaster anyway because I think that it's very 
Although modern men want to be involved, and I think that's really nice, I think it is important to keep that element of mystery as well. Because at the beginning, it's really fun. We're going to make a baby, right? You know, blah, blah, blah. We're going to have these are the days. Let's have sex. You know, it's all really fun at the beginning. I promise you, by month three, that is not fun anymore. And by month 13, that is just an utter drag. Yeah. And you can pretty soon kill a perfectly good sex life if you're not careful. So what else can I tell you about men? Um, you know, marijuana can affect it. Um, heat is one of the things that affects um, sperm. We do get really good results with diet sometimes. Um, but again, um, you have to be careful because sometimes men have poor sperm, not because of lifestyle factors, but because of something their mother was exposed to in the womb. So it, it's not always possible. And this is where wellness has because of the rise of wellness, we believe that we're capable of or, of changing everything. We're not because mm. some things are out of our control. Some things are caused, um, you know, in the early, you know, when you're a baby or when you're in um, your mother's uterus. So not everything within, is within our control. And I think that's one of the skills of the practitioner is sort of being able to ascertain, you know, being able to work out the difference, which you can't always do, but... So diet is important. Um, alcohol is important. Uh, I think, um, you know, sometimes men think they're really healthy because they do these Iron Man training, you know, really strong. But actually that can generate a lot of heat in the testicles. So, I, um, you know, and that long distance cycling can be a problem. Uh, tight lycra, not such a good idea. So the chefs traditionally, um, have, Gordon Ramsay, I think, had a few problems with his swimmers. Um, <laughs> don't sue me if it's wrong. <laughs> because, because, his, um, because I think because their testicles are at, at the same level as the heat. So their testicles get really hot in the kitchen. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Think about that next time you order in a restaurant, how close the chef's balls are to your meal. <laughs> Delightful. We're going to be thinking of lots of things post corona, aren't we? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) There's a lot in the media, on social media, about contraception and the pill. And something Serena and I kind of talk about quite a lot and our perspective on it, but we'd love to hear it from. Uh, perspective of Chinese medicine and you as as you Emma would you suggest the pill is something to be avoided and what sort of contraception are best for fertility so for someone who isn't thinking about getting pregnant or you know that sort of outcome right now and for young women how much does the pill affect us and what should we be doing yeah, it's an opinion with with a light touch because I and I, I don't I don't think it's a, an easy answer. You know, I think that the pill liberated women. You know, there's no doubt about it. They stopped women from having to die, having backstreet mis you know terminations, um, uh, unwanted pregnancies, and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um. And and you know, I think I think for many, you know that was an amazing progression I think fast forward 30 whatever 40 years yes I think there are some problems with it I think that you know it has created some issues I I definitely see that from a fertility point of view I've never been on the pill myself that's how come I had a baby at 27 um oh joy a happy days um and um yeah, I think, well, medically, facts, this is medical facts, you're exposed to more STDs in your lifetime if you if you are on the pill um, because it offers no protection from uh, STDs. So quite often women who have been on the pill will have, un, will not know that they have media or they have pelvic inflammatory disease, which can lead to all sorts of fertility problems. So, that is medical fact. Yeah. Um, I um, there's a wonderful study which says <laughs> that, that demonstrates that that women who are on the pill don't choose the partner who is most their most 
um, compatible with from a fertility point of view because it changes you hormonally. Which Ooh, is fascinating. That's interesting. Yeah. It's an old study, and I don't know how, how rated it is medically, but it's an interesting idea, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely exposes you to more um, STDs in your lifetime. Um, there is some chat amongst gynecologists that actually in some way it preserves, it can preserve your fertility because you're not releasing an egg every month. Yeah. Give it with one hand, take away with the other. I don't know about that. Um, I think that um, from a Chinese medicine point of view, it can disguise problems. So they'll give it to you to treat a problem. So my so my daughter at 17 went to the doctor and said, I've got heavy, painful periods. And he said, well, most girls your, your age just want, want to go on the pill. I think she might have even been 16. Most girls your age just want to go on the pill. So here you go, have a pill. Missed opportunity or what? Yeah. And the problem is, is they don't have anything else to offer you except for that. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's the right treatment. It just means it's the only thing they've got. Yeah. So I think it is misused in the same way that IVF is misused. Now, and, and that's why all my answers are always very long because it's never, <laughs> it's never yes or no. It's always like, well, it depends. It depends on who's asking. It, it dep- you know, for some people, the, the pill is a revelation. But I have to tell you, and this will be my final comment on it, I, would ha- I have to tell you that most of the women that sit in my clinic tell me, I wish I knew what I knew about the pill now because I wouldn't have stayed on it for so long. Because many, many women that I, I see get post um post pill amenorrhea so their pill their period takes a long time to come back after being on the pill so i i think that there's a lack of information at the time that they give it out and certainly from my experience of how quickly this guy wanted to put you know my daughter on the pill yeah. there was absolutely no discussion about stds no discussion about future fertility no discussion about uh, nothing no um no. and and that is criminal i think yeah, it was the same for me when, when I came off the pill and had amenorrhea and then was diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome on the back of that. And then the answer was, oh, go on the pill. <laughs> it was mind-blowing. Yeah. And it's because that's all they have. So, um, so you know, with acupuncture, we get really good results for painful periods. You know, with diet, you can help. You know, I mean, again, it depends on the source and why you've got the painful periods. But it's much better to to, you know, to not shoot the messenger yeah and uh, try and sort it out I think what sort of contraception would you think is uh, a good alternative my daughter's always asking me this (laughs) um well you know abstinence yeah probably good old yeah virginity um (laughs) (laughs) save yourself your marriage um um probably if you're talking about from a health point of view and not creating problems probably a a condom and I've noticed that they use um, a coil much more in women now um, what they used to only give women the coil after they'd had children I notice they give it more and more to younger women I think in many it's absolutely fine I think in some it it creates problems it certainly from my point of view causes quite a lot of stagnation in the system yeah mine did yeah I had to rejected them both yeah yeah funny isn't it Mm. yeah body does not like it some people love it though some people get on really well with theirs and I think that's the thing and I would never want to give a blanket answer because for some people they find it completely liberating I'm sure for some people have painful awful periods that haven't got access to acupuncture and things like that actually going on the pill is a simple solution I I just I think just the messages is that it's not as clear-cut as that and it's not you know I think we we have we need more information than we're always given. I know we talked a bit about abundance earlier, mm-hmm. um, and I think when we all live in quite a materialistic world these days, and we're all quite obsessed with having it all, um, mm. I wondered what advice you have for helping us move from a lack mindset to one of more abundance. Mm. Celebrating what you've got, I suppose, rather than always wanting more. Yeah, I think um well the the not comparing yourself to other people is the 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 rule one. And um and 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 really developing a relationship with yourself because um 
if you are confident within yourself, then you're less easily swayed off your path by others' opinions and what other people have. So I think that is that's something that's always served me really well because when I decided to take, be on this path, I mean, honestly, my mother thought I had gone insane. I had like a proper job and I decided I was going to, she was just like, what even is that? Like, why would you do, you know? And and there was no, I there were no, I mean, everyone's a therapist these days, but but it was very it was very rare then. Um, but I just knew in my heart that that's what I wanted to do. And I just didn't let other people's opinions sway me. Um, and what was the question exactly? Um, oh, abundance. For the listeners, abundance. Yeah. Um, staying in abundance. So not comparing yourself to, uh, to other people, knowing yourself, you know, um, and, and that, you know, that can take work because, um, you know, sometimes we don't have faith in ourselves because of things that happen earlier in our life or the way that we, you know, early exposure to things. So that might take some work. Um, understanding yourself, like what, what are your triggers? Like what, and where do they come from and getting curious about that and being compassionate with yourself, you know, I think self-compassion is, is hugely underrated. And, you know, I, I think we've moved from that because I'm worth it, which isn't self-compassion at all to, you know, to this much gentler, um, kinder and and you know the younger generation are much better at it than my generation like we have a huge learning curve with all of that stuff because we're very much in the competing with men you know competing with each other when you know and I think there is a much gentler generation coming forward which is where all the veganism comes from and on wellness and things like that um so i think yeah self-compassion is really really important i think daily you know small daily practices like gratitude um can be really really helpful um and also i don't know about you but i i i found in since this lockdown the sort of overwhelming burden that stuff brings i I'm looking at your lovely calm kitchen behind and it looks really, you know, I have five people in this house. I feel so overburdened with stuff. And I think we are becoming, we are realizing that we don't need as much, you know. And I think because we've been overworking, we've been um, not following our purpose, not engaging with our true nature, living so out of alignment. I think all of this stuff and all of these things are ways to treat ourselves, but it doesn't really make us that happy, yeah. you know, because you get it and then you just want something else. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I'm saying this from a place of, 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 I really know, because I was like a real shopper, you know, always rewarding myself. And I do something that I adore, you know, but I never, I've never lived out of my means and I've never run up there. I'm not, I'm not like that, but I definitely used shopping as a, as a way, as a pacifier. If I'd had a busy day or I wanted to reward myself or, you know, I would buy myself something. And I really already that feels really pre-coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we will become more satisfied with less and actually see the benefit of it. Because if we go back to my earlier point of needing to be more flexible, needing to, to make decisions, you know, that's going to allow us, it's going to free us up to move around a bit more or change direction. You know, if you're not burdened with the stuff and a house and a you know yeah then you can be more flexible and I think that's how we're going to become and I mm. think that's a much more fertile abundant way to live yeah I think that I think it is you're right it's so evident now with so many people making bread and growing <laughs> their own herbs growing their own things on their tiny balconies or in their kitchens mm. and it, it does feel like that it feels like a real place of of nourishment and and growth it's a good life. It's going back to that. <laughs> I did a mood board the other day. It was all green. It was ridiculous. Oh, it was just lovely. like green everywhere. I was like, oh, okay. I think I know what this is saying. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I've got green fingers at the moment. <laughs> Emma, let's talk about your, your healthy habit. Can you yeah. um, t- 
tell us what it was and then we'll dive into it a little more. This was the um, the peace meditation, the, the peace mantra, yeah? Mm-hmm. So, yes, um, I have been listening. Well, in my clinic, I always play beautiful music, one of which is uh, Snatnam Kaur, which is, is um, she's wonderful, anyone who knows her. She's got, she's prolific. She's got loads and loads of work out there. And and I always play it and I've played it for years. And it's funny because I never get bored of it and it, because it is like a mantra and it's just, you know, I'm just there and I'm soaking, soaking up the just, the vibration of music and everyone loves it that comes into the clinic and um but there was this one track that wasn't on my clinic list um and I rediscovered it since I've been in lockdown and I have actually been playing it every day and it's basically the peace mantra so it's I am peace and peace is within me and it's basically about cultivating peace within yourself and giving that to the world as well because when and that's why we're not powerless because I think we always think we can't make a, a difference. But if you want more peace in the world, you need to be more peaceful yourself. You know, mm. if, you want, if you if you want a kinder world, you need to be kind. You know, you need to be kinder. And you know, it is as simple as that, really. I mean, obviously, there's governments and they all make a big difference. But but actually, when we change things on an individual level, and if we heal things within ourselves, it does have repercussions. So yeah. that's what I've been doing every day. It was lovely. So really surprising, actually, because so, so Serena and I, we we test the healthy habits out and we see yeah. how we get on. And um, I I listened to it this morning. And as I said, I've had quite a nice, peaceful, peaceful day. Um, and I am also just at the right time in my cycle where I'm feeling very creative and at ease um and I sat with it and listened and it's beautiful and Serena had shared her insights with me and I just started singing to it because I thought it was so beautiful and I couldn't sit in silence with it for some reason I just started singing and the so the Sanskrit translated is Ong So Hung and I just think I don't know why it just really came out of my body really beautifully in a lovely lovely. way yeah it was really nice beautiful and it's a nice nine minute track so it was fun to just sing for that time yeah Yeah. (laughs) Serena tell us your your journey I love the music yeah but I found it very distracting for my meditation oh okay I mean it didn't help I was sitting on the floor in the living room and as I was listening to it We've got a puppy who's nearly one year old and she was like launching herself off the sofa onto my face. So I feel like it's not, it's not fair to put this on. I can never pronounce her name. Snatnam Car. Snatnam Car. Yeah. I, I can't put it on her. I'm going to have to blame the dog. Uh, <laughs> but no, I love it. And I'm going to have a bath later and I'm going to listen to it in the bath. I think I just need to keep it separate mm. from my meditation because my mind is so busy that any temptation at distraction I'm like oh music let's listen to that and I yeah and then I- and, and also I mean you know and maybe you know you know I think chanting mantras is slightly different from a medical there is a difference there some yeah. people prefer a silent meditation whereas I and the minute I hear her voice I get into that meditative state because for me I'm not really uh um I don't meditate in the same way how I build meditation in is, is I build it into my, my work. So, so when I'm in clinic, which I'm not, but when I'm in clinic, you know, I would talk to the, to the patient first of all, like feel their pulse. And then the, the bit where they lie down and I put the needles in, it, it is as if there is nothing else apart from that in that moment. It, I, I never, I'm not thinking about the laundry or the shot, you know, <laughs> I am totally in a meditative state. Yeah. And so for me, that music is very much kind of linked in with that and it automatically takes me there. Mm. But what I love about that track is that it's, um, it opens you up to vulnerability. So, so I cried a lot when I was first listening to it and it really helped me release a lot of grief. But also it is something quite fortifying. So it does both. It kind of gives strength, but it, not that vulnerability isn't strength because after Brené Brown, we, we all know that it is, right? <laughs> um, but um, but it is, it's funny because it's got, for me, it's got that duality. Softens um, and strengthens at the same time. Yeah. 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 I looked into the, to the, um, the mantra meaning of it and um, 
it said a lot about connection to to everyone around us and to like surrender to the divine and it was yeah it was nice and I guess Serena for you a a mantra that's that translates to I am peace when India's jumping at your head (laughs) I love I love a kirtan though I love a sing-along so I I maybe maybe I'll try later but I'll get singing and clapping instead yeah don't use it in your meditation I think it can be used in any way and I think that's a that's personal to me just because of the clinic experience probably yeah Yeah, you've got like a Pavlovian response with it that when you hear her singing you're straight into your place yeah that neural pathway is like Oh, amazing. Emma, it's been so, so wonderful speaking to you. Thank you so much, Emma. Namaste. Lovely to meet you. Namaste. And hopefully we can all connect very soon. And thanks for the lovely recipe. You're so welcome, Emma. Bye. Bye. Thank you so, so much, Emma, for coming on the podcast today. It was such a joy chatting to her and soaking up all of her wonderful wisdom. Yeah, so lovely. I And I really hope we can connect in real life soon because, Serena, I know you've been just dying to meet <laughs> Emma for such a long time. If you want to get the absolutely delicious recipe from today's episode, then head over to our Instagram at Kitchen Club Podcast. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to rate, review and subscribe to us. And thank you again for joining us. Bye. Bye. HelloFresh.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.